Hey everybody, welcome to Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. I really want to thank you for listening. If you feel compelled to do so, make sure you subscribe, uh, leave a review, comment, share, whatever you feel like doing. Help me out trying to grow this podcast, trying to continuously deliver value. A couple of things before we get into the show, check out the links in the show notes to my CRA Academy, my CRC Academy, both of them doing very well as far as getting people jobs in the marketplace. Check those out. Also, if you need help getting studies for your site or anything else, or even launching a site, basically any help for your site, we have a low monthly fee consulting service where we have helped many clients become and continue to be successful site owners through our background efforts of business development and support staff. Text me 949-415-6256. Please check out the links in the show notes as well for the book, The Comprehensive Guide to Clinical Research. It's been selling really well, getting very well received by the community. Thank you guys so much for that. Also check out the YouTube member page. Join this channel to get perks. That's my YouTube uh, membership. It's 10 bucks a month. You get a monthly mastermind exclusively. It's a Zoom call every month with other YouTube members. Uh, You also get weekly videos exclusive to the YouTube members on how to use social media to improve your opportunities in life sciences. So check that out. Really means a lot to me. And thank you so much again for listening and enjoy the show. Hello, Guru Nation. Welcome back, everybody. How are you guys doing? We've got today a very special guest. Honestly, we have somebody, we have Tiffany Ashton. This is somebody I have no clue how, Tiffany, you flew under my radar. Because <laughs> when I looked up and like actually looked you up, I'm like, you're everywhere. But how did I miss? I don't know. I'm doing my own thing. I'm just too busy doing my own thing. I don't even get out of my own little space to see what's going on. But once I started looking into you, I'm like, man, this girl's everywhere. So Tiffany Ashton, she's been in the industry since 2003, right? Mm -hmm. She does study rescue. She's the director of operations for Clin Essentials. As you can see on her jacket there, she got Clin Essentials (laughs) logo representing there. This Both are very interesting topics that, and both are going to have a bunch of things we can unpack. But before all of that, thank you so much, Tiffany, for coming on. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so 2003, how, how did you get into research? How, how does this happen? Okay, so 2003, I was a high school graduate moving from Los Angeles to San Diego because I had been accepted to San Diego State University and I was starting in August um, classes and I said, hey, I need a part time job. You know, I need to supplement this going to school. (laughs) So I started looking around um, and applying. You know, I had some skills as an admin assistant. And so I was able to look up at a site management organization. I applied. They were looking for an admin assistant to answer phones and, you know, take sign for packages, you know, just do the admin type of work. And so I interviewed and I was hired. And, you know, I just started observing the day to day. I said, where is that person going? And where are they going? And it was, we had a main central location and the study coordinators would travel to the various doctor's offices within the African-American and um, Hispanic community. So our, our niche was African-American and Hispanic clinical research trials and getting more of that community involved. Really? That was the niche? Yeah. Yeah, this company was was early. I mean, this was like Mm -hmm. a decade before black women in research and Latinos in research. Exactly. Very. They were ahead of their time. So um, so I saw the study coordinators leaving from our main office, going to the different uh, clinics, coming back at the end of the day. And I was like, wow, what are they doing? Because it looks intriguing. And so um, I asked the clinical director. I said, hey, you know, can I learn a little bit more about this? And she was like, yeah, you would. You're 
shark cookie, I think you can you can catch on. You wow. Know, like, but if you would have never asked that, it wouldn't have happened, right? Never would have happened. I would have just been, you know, doing what I was doing in my admin world. Um, so she said, yeah. And so what I started to do is sit in on the SIVs and the PSVs and the, you know, um, training sessions. And I was enrolled uh, in doing my prerequisites for at that time, it was accounting was my uh, my uh, degree. Um, but I was doing my prerequisites and I started adding like medical terminology courses to it and just learning wow. as many med, you know, like medical terminology and med courses that I could take, weave them into my um, undergrad. So you uh, caught you, you caught the bug for somehow clinical research resonated with you even before you yeah. really knew much about it. Exactly. Before Why I do you think that was? Like, what, what do you think it was about it? I always loved medical. I always loved medical. Um, I wanted to be an orthodontist, um, but so I was in the medical field, dentistry, you know, so I always loved medical that intrigued me. And actually, after about working in and, you know, like observing clinical research and taking my prerequisites for accounting, I was like, accounting's not for me. And I ended up switching to anthropology. Um, now anthropology, San Diego State wasn't pre-med. So I, you know, like I would have had to go to a whole totally different school to like be like medical school, but I switched to anthropology and I loved it. I loved that science space. We worked with bones. We had a bone lab and we had to put together a human skeleton back together, you know, there from there. So it, the science really started to come out and I was like, wow, I love this. Mm -hmm. So um, I finished up my degree as anthropology, but um, in the beginning, when I was still learning research, I was able to shadow. I was able to, you know, observe. They shadowed me for about three to six months, mm -hmm. somewhere around there before they were comfortable and I knew enough to be able to take my own pro um, project on. And, right. and so that's, that's how I got my start. Yeah. Three months is about the right time until you start, you know, getting mm -hmm. the training wheels off and, mm -hmm. and start doing some assisting coordinating. And then exactly. before you know it, coordinator, especially if you're at a busy clinic like that, I mean, so is that SMO still around? No, it actually went out of business, um, but maybe they'll, yeah. Maybe they'll get back in. Maybe they'll get back in. I have to call their director and see. Business <laughs> is so tough. You know, I, know. I mean, if you give it what, that was like 15 years. Mm -hmm. If you give it 15 years, like something like 90% of companies will no longer be around. It's And that exactly. seemed like it was one that was successful and ahead of its time mm -hmm. as far mm -hmm. as minority participation. Nobody was talking about that back then. At all. They they were ahead of their time and they can probably get back in and definitely <laughs> was something I would be interested in helping collaborate with them. Yeah. That, that's where the, I got my foundation. The SMO model still exists. It's just no one calls it that anymore. They call it site networks now. Mm -hmm. it's, a, <laughs> it's a more, uh, I guess, easier to to take term from the sponsors because a few of the SMOs really messed it up for everybody in yeah. the mid two thousands, but that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> All right. So coordinator, what yes. from there, like what happened as far as your career? Yeah. So I did four years of coordinating while I was going to San Diego state. So when I graduated, wow. I, okay. yeah. So I, I was, when I tell you, I was doing clinic Monday, Wednesday, Friday, school classes, Tuesday, Thursday. I was, I was wow. getting it in. I was getting it in. <laughs> so you had no life, no time to party, any of that no stuff. Time. San Diego no State's time. party school. Yeah, no time I know it is. <laughs> Head in the books. Head in the wow. books. Wow. Yeah. So, and, and the patients. But I really enjoyed that time. Um, so after the four years, um, then I had my degree and four years experience, and I was able to get a hybrid position. It was an interesting role. It was a CRC slash CRA role. Never seen it since. It was for a big pharmaceutical, well, it was a phase four study. And um, it was for a big breast implant manufacturer. And they had to enroll 60,000 ladies in their long-term follow-up study. So we were working with plastic surgeons and because we were working with plastic surgeons, some plastic surgeons 
they didn't know about research and they could care less because they were in their own (laughs) plastic surgeon world, you know? And so for some sites, I had to be like a study coordinator. I had to help them consent the site. I mean, consent the patients because they didn't know about it. Right. The physician could care less like about that. Exactly. And then for other sites, they had a patient coordinator and they consented. And so for those, I just more so monitored like, okay, all these consents were captured correctly. Was this all in SoCal? Yeah, it was actually, I had SoCal. Um, I had from Orange County down to San Diego and Hawaii. I had Honolulu, Hawaii as my territory. I (laughs) I went to Hawaii so many times I was tired of going to Hawaii. So you were like a coordinator sales rep. Yeah. And I worked very closely with the sales reps. They they were like, we, we were like this. And that's why I said it was a unique position. I haven't seen it since, but I did that that role for three and a half years until we got all 60,000 women enrolled. And so, yeah. But see, jobs like that, like the ones you, like the the unique ones or the ones that are like obscure. I mean, nobody mm-hmm. thinks phase four is like amazing opportunity. It's just, yeah. you know, it's like an afterthought. But in mm-hmm. your case, it was like the foundation for your career because it really made you a generalist. Like you were, yeah. you learned what physicians need. You learned mm-hmm. what sites need. You learned what sponsors needed. I mean, and then you learn all the ins and outs, like mo- uh, monitoring, coordinating, all that stuff mm-hmm. too. Exactly. Yeah. So after that contract was done, then I wanted to get some sponsor um, experience. And so I was in San Diego at that time. So I applied at a small biotech in San Diego. And I came in as an in-house CRA. And within about four to five months, I was shadowing my project manager. And there was an opening for a project manager on another phase four study. And they said, hey, you've been here. Would you like to you know, consider it. And I said, yeah. And so I got a lot of training there. The small biotech, we only had 17 people in the whole clinical department. And so uh, we were very hands on, you know, teaching each other, learning from each other. Um, and so I went on to run a whole investigators meeting, you know, negotiate contracts, budgets, um, work with data management on the EDC database build and ECRF guidelines wow. and protocol and creating, you know, documents and binders and vendor oversight. So got a lot of experience from that, that role. Wow. Yeah. I always say small is the new big and mm-hmm. you were doing that, you know, what was that like mid 2000s or late? Mid 2010. Late 2010. Wow. Yeah. Is that biotech? still around did it yeah succeed? they act they actually got bought by nestle okay okay so yeah. they succeeded then so mm-hmm. they had because even for that it's rare that you see like the drug usually these small biotechs only have like two or three things in the pipeline and mm-hmm. maybe if they're lucky one of them makes it or shows promise mm-hmm. and then another mm-hmm. company buys them and then you become a big organization right so now that one's like nestle it's a it's a part yeah. of nestle Exactly. Yeah. So that they did both. They had drug and diagnostic testing because it was like a lab farm. It was like a biotech where they had a lab arm. So they I were see. able to stay in, the, stay in the business a little bit longer because they had a different niche. It wasn't just a product. They also did like um, diagnostic testing for like um, different kind of cancers and different things like that. So they had a nice little portfolio themselves. Huh. So were you there when they got acquired or did you leave by them? But it was right at the tail end. They, I was there when they got acquired, and then they kind of started shifting up the clinical department. And I said, yeah. "Ooh, I don't know about this. Let me go on over they to." They bring CR their own people, right? Because see, yeah. a lot of people don't talk about that when you work for a small. And I've never worked for a small biotech. I, all my experience is just from from talking to people like you and reading mm-hmm. books. But I, I contracted for a small biotech, but I'm not like a, in their culture, so. Mm-hmm. It seems like these companies, they lose their uh, culture when they get acquired. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes less about innovating and more about just protecting what they already have. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's not for everybody, basically, yeah. at that point. Exactly. Yeah. And that's I saw some writings on the wall and I was like, okay, you know, I don't know, <laughs> you know. Once if they I start, like this once they yeah. start prioritizing stuff that doesn't matter, 
Um, it's time to, if you're that kind of person, which you seem like you are, Mm -hmm. you're the type of person that likes to be in there from the ground level Mm -hmm. doing things and generalist. So yeah, at that point, you just have to be like a cog in the wheel. And it's not like for people like you and I, that's not fun for us. Exactly. Uh, (laughs) There's other (laughs) things we could be doing. So what happened after that? So you yeah, so then after that, that was my first, I went on to be, uh, have my first taste of CRO world. And that was, that was good. And so I came on as an unblinded CRA. So I was an unblinded CRA on a vaccine study. Mm-hmm. And so that um, gave me the whole experience to like unblind it. Because at that point, and I think that was probably 2011, that was probably around the first time that unblinded CRA as a role even came out. You know, like I didn't know about it previous to then but yeah it was something where it was like okay yeah let me get some experience in this arm because I've never seen it before so I did that and then simultaneously they made me a lead CRA on another study so I was split I was unblinded CRA and then a lead CRA on another wow, study. you're a lead CRA yeah so the lead CRA was fun because I was right I was like the right hand to the CTM at the time Oh, and that's right, because you mm-hmm. were CRC slash CRA. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you were qualified to be lead CRA. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. And then, um, so, you know, I love lead CRA because I had the CRAs on the team and running the meetings, working with them, but then also liaisoning with the sponsor and, you know, being on that whole, what are our clinical deliverables looking like <laughs> and, uh, you know, making sure to push those timelines. Um, so, yes, I stayed in that lead CRA space for, about a year and a half until that study was done. And then that particular CRO started changing lead CRAs into CTM ones at that point. And so like that role just faded off. So then I just became a CTM one on, it gave me an oncology study, actually. It was a phase one oncology study. So that was that, my first. That was new to you, oncology. Yeah, that was my first indicate my first oncology indication as a CTM. Um, and then I had worked on like an oncology um, study at that small biotech as like an in-house CRA. So I had a little bit of oh, oncology okay. there. Okay. What yeah. it, for the people that don't know, can you... I get these questions a lot and I tell them, look, it's every company has different acronym and title. Mm-hmm. CTM mm-hmm. at one place might mean a whole different thing at another place. Yeah. So what like can you explain what that is in co- in comparison to CRA? Yeah. So clinical trial manager, the study is on your shoulders. I want to say, I mean, it's not pretty, but you are responsible for the study um, and you work with all the d- d- all of the departments, so data management, regulatory, finance, you know, you work very closely with the sponsor, like the sponsor will be on calls and they'll say, okay, we want to have a database lock by the 4th of September. And then as the CTM, you say, okay, all right, I hear you. I acknowledge that. Let me work with the team and see if that's possible. Because sometimes it's quick and, you know, well, you know, it, it's two weeks away or three, that may not be possible. So you want to take it in, work with the team, the various departments. That's where the CTMs would sometimes reach out to the CRAs. Hey, can you get on site? Can you do more visits? Can you stay more on site? Because we have a database lock and mm-hmm. this just came down from the sponsor. So you're so, working with the lead CRA, like you're telling the lead CRA, Hey, I need your CRAs to be out there now. Like, everyone's have a visit coming up? Yeah. So sometimes, so it depends on the company. Not every company has a lead CRA role. Sometimes it's the CTM and then right under the CTM, it's the CRA. So there's not even a lead CRA to speak to and roll out. It's sometimes you are the CTM and you are responsible for clinical deliverables. So you're managing the CRAs. You're reviewing their trip. So that was you. That was yeah, <laughs> so that uh, was me. Yeah, that was me. Once I went from lead CRA and they dissolved that lead CRA role and I just went into CTM, I didn't have a lead CRA. Wow. I was the CTM in charge of the clinical deliverables, speaking with the sponsor, and wow. then also working with the CRAs. So would and you then, at your company, would you have been also considered like a line manager as well? No, no? that's different. So the line manager... 
So the line managers are like, you think of line managers as like career. If you want to talk about your career and moving to the next level, promotions, you know, maybe being paid for going to school and approving, you know, different expenses for like continual education, that's the line manager. So those are, so those are the line managers. And then the CTMs are the in charge of clinical deliverables. And if there's a problem with the CRA, I'm speaking to the line manager. I'm saying, hey, we have, they're behind on their trip ah, reports. They're behind on their expense report. So my manager to manager conversation is with the line manager um, there. So that's how it goes. So the CTM, the way that that's different from a CRA the CRA, they take their marching orders from the CTM and then they go to their sites and they manage their sites. But and then they have to roll all that information back up to the CTM and the CTM has to report to the sponsor and say, hey, we're on track for database lock or, oh, no, we're not on track because this one particular site we're maxed out. We can't get on site. You know, here's our contingency plans. So, yeah. So we do a lot of risk management, you know, recruitment, retention, all of those things as a CTM. Did you have a project manager with you to work? Yeah. So the project manager is above the CTM. And so sometimes though at companies, project manager and CTM, the same name is used interchangeably. Right. Right. And so sometimes it gets confusing because you're like, oh, I'm a project manager or I'm a CTM. And the one distinction that I would always ask and during interviews, I say when they say we're looking for a project manager or we're looking for a CTM, I say, am I in charge of the clinical deliverables? And when they say, yes, you're in charge of the clinical deliverables, that means you're a CTM in which I just described. You're over the CRAs. You're working with the various departments. You're in charge of meeting the deadlines. Um, On the other hand, project manager, though, is they work with the sponsor directly and they talk about like portfolio level things and overarching like this is what we're going to do for this compound across 15 different studies. Yeah, so they're more overarching where the CTMs are day-to-day clinical deliverables for that one study. One study, okay. So you were a CTM, one study at a time. Yeah, CTM, but sometimes they'll give you two studies. (laughs) I I mean, one time I had four studies at a a CRO as a CTM. So. Yeah. So you can have multiple studies. That's they know how to work their resources. I'm <laughs> telling you this. Down to the bone. <laughs> yes, they do, which is a problem in the industry. I guess if we have more time, I can talk about that. But well, actually, maybe now is a good time. So yeah, because you were you were in charge of CRAs, mm-hmm. right? One of the not so well kept secret is CRA turnover is very high. Mm-hmm. Still is. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you dealt with that. staffing issues Mm -hmm. so what like the last thing you would need is cra's to quit in the middle of deadlines right (laughs) the last thing that i would need dan (laughs) so what happens if they quit you have to go do it Uh, you try to get the others that are left (laughs) on the team to cover if possible yeah i mean you know i really think being a strong ctm is about the relationships that you have and a part of working with the sponsor and getting that information, like the the directions we want interim analysis, database lock, this many patients enrolled by this time, is I've always put myself in the study coordinator's shoes and the CRA shoes because I've been a study coordinator and I've been a CRA. So what I would do, and I haven't had CRAs I maybe one or two, but it wasn't me necessarily leave my team. You know, it wasn't they left because, oh, I didn't like Tiffany. It was because of other reasons. But I always work with my CRAs. I'm like, hey, this is what's coming down the pipeline. How can I help you? I know you're going to be on the road. Let me roll up my sleeves. Let me pull some data management reports. Let me follow up with your CRAs. Let me help you so you can just focus on that. And then the same time, I would go to their sites and I say, hey, we have an upcoming database lot. And you have a hundred queries. Can we split this to do five queries for the next four weeks? We can get this out the way. So when that your monitor comes on site, they can just hit it and we can just all, you know, we're working together. And 
because of my personality and just I know I've been in that those shoes before, it's always kind of worked where I, you know, the team. So it's really about the CTM dynamic will really be able to see if your 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 CRAs have a high turnover because a lot of people they're like I love you you're the best CTM that I've ever had you know like I want to be on your team kind of thing because I make it you know like we're working together I'm not like you got to do it and you got to do it by Tuesday I'm like okay how can I help you and that makes a big difference that makes a huge difference to that turnover because if you have a good CTM are you going to be like, okay, well, I'm going to go into the unknown and get a bad CTM? Or are you like, hey, I might want to stay here? That kind of thing. I see. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. So, you know, knowing that, hey, I'm working with Tiffany Mm -hmm. and she is reasonable. She's Mm -hmm. been a CRA. She did. Mm-hmm. So did you ever push back on the sponsors? Like they ask you things and you're, mm-hmm. you're like, look, my CRAs are going to quit. If you ask me this, like, let's, let's compromise. Yeah. So I wouldn't say that they would quit, but I just, I would say. <laughs> That's what <laughs> I, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would use, you get, cause you gotta be politically correct. So, you know, they want to hear, they want to hear yes, but sometimes you can't say yes. Yeah. And so what I would say, so let's just say we want to have the first site activated January 7th of 2022. Mm-hmm. And we're starting right now, but we don't even have a final protocol. You know, sometimes you do have to push back and say, hey, well, we can't do that because we don't have X, Y, Z, or we can't do that because, you know, the holidays, they're not going to be able to get on site to activate the a site because of the holidays. Mm-hmm. So you have to take a look at if you're not able to meet that deliverable, why? But what's the next best solution? Okay, we can't do January 7th, but we can do January 21st because that will give everyone time to get back from the holidays, you know, all of the vendors to send out all of the the supplies, you know, protocol can be written and IRB approved during this time, all of these things, you know, so you have to look at a holistic approach and and really um, be able so to you understand. you came up with those solutions as a CTM like you have full yes. autonomy like yeah like the so January seven twenty first thing you don't need to ask anybody it's like this is the day <laughs> I think we can do it and that's it well yeah so you work with the you work with the various departments so that's why you have to liaison with data management when's the database going to be built like sometimes they need twelve weeks to build a database and that's a part of first site activated, do we have a database that's live? Um, You got to work with regulatory because sometimes you can't be in each country um, in the sense of like if we had Canada, US and Belgium as countries that we want to do the study in, I'm going to select US as my country of choice to be the first site activated because Health Canada and Belgium, their regulatory um, uh, authorities, they have long cycles and just having the experience or liaisoning with regulatory, they'll be like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen to get a, a site activated in those two countries in the next four months. That's, not, you know, like their timelines are six months or eight months or something like that. Mm-hmm. So you do have to work as a CTM with multiple departments. Everybody has to give their input. So you can be able to say this state's going to work because we've checked it in these various areas. Wow. Um, because the sponsor is going to run with that date, you know, like as soon as you say January 7th, they're going with it. You're, there's no, ah, well, you know, yeah. maybe. <laughs> a lot of times it's because especially these biotechs, they tell investors, you yeah, know, they, exactly. they make, they make uh, statements like public uh, uh, press releases mm-hmm. so that, you know, they put a uh, uh, estimated study date January 7th. So then all the investors mm-hmm. get happy. They start buying more stock. Mm-hmm. Then Tiffany comes through next week and says, Hey, it's going to be, January 21st, guys, then investors get mad. They don't know it's you, but they get mad at the sponsor. So this is a high stress situation. I don't think people understand this stuff. Yeah. So CTM is not made for everyone. I mean, and, (laughs) you know, like, and there's a lot of things that you have to learn because for one time I was the study startup guru. And I just kept being in a study startup loop from kickoff to first patient in from kickoff and they would roll me off and start me up. And and so like, I was just stuck in that cycle for like two years. And then I had to 
get out of that cycle and get into like maintenance and close out and you know csr and etmf final why you, know, you wanted you wanted to expand your skill set yeah. and not not get stuck in the same thing like groundhog exactly. day yeah because as, as a ctm you have to decisions that you make at the beginning you can see that at the end of the study so yes i want to you know, yes, I want to be at the beginning, but I also wanted to see the full spectrum of things so I can have a really good understanding from A to Z of a study and not just A to P and then go back to A to P over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So bridge the gap between your work, CTM, and getting out of that study startup loop and mm-hmm. expanding your skill set. I imagine you work for several CRO during this mm-hmm. time. Several CROs, small pharmaceutical companies. I actually got a contract working at, with a company, pharmaceutical company in Denmark, so XUS, and they wanted to have a US study. And it was me and the medical monitor, and that was it in the US. And so I as did a that contractor? Study. Yeah, yeah, as a contractor. And so I did that study from nuts to bull, like from, from A to Z, because there was just me and the, uh, and the medical monitor, and we wow. had. 15, 17 sites, 300 patients. We had to do, we had to find the IRB, the vendors, everything. CRAs? We had two towards the end, but I actually had to do some CRA work too. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So they got crazy. Yeah, they were able to get everything because I had CRA experience. I could be a CRA. I had CTM experience. I could run the trial. So doing something like that. Okay. You don't have to give me a number, but I know people are watching. They're going to be mad if I don't ask. So that's a lot of work. Okay. Yeah. At that stage in your career, Mm -hmm. you can get any job you want. So for Mm -hmm. you to do that, I understand it's exciting. You like that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. but it's so much work. The pay had to be good, right? Yeah, I mean, it was it wasn't outstanding, but it was, you know, for me, I looked at it as an opportunity more so. And sometimes you do have to take those opportunities to get those experience. So now I have on my CV, I can run a study from start to finish. By yourself. <laughs> no questions asked, you know, yeah. like that kind of thing and deliver. So, you know, it was more so, yes, it was within the market rate. It wasn't necessarily because it was through an agency. So if uh, I had contracted with them directly, it could have been probably better, more lucrative. Yeah. Um, but because I was through an agency, you know, I, I had my fee, but it was exciting because being a part of something from start to finish, that was what excited me more. Well, now you're doing all these podcasts. They go directly to you. Tiffany's LinkedIn is going to be right underneath. She could run a whole study on her own, guys. But let's not take her away from Clint Essentials right now. So Clint Essentials, let's talk about that because you guys are super excited about this. I just learned about this like a week ago. So I'm, you know, I have no clue what's going on. But (laughs) they've been around for two years and four months now. So can you kind of give us a breakdown of what it is and then what you do as director of operation there? Yeah, yeah. Okay. so. We provide tools and resources for clinical research professionals. So our team has been in the industry over 22 years combined. Everyone's been in various um, you know, roles. And so what we've noticed through the years is that there's some inefficiencies that we need to get better with things. Um, so our signature product are the CRA audit notes. And they replace the yellow sticky notes that are usually used by the CRAs and that the study coordinators receive on the other end. So study coordinators may come in at the end of the visit and have a hundred of these sticking out of charts. And they're like, oh my God, where do I even begin? But the CRA audit notes, they're color coded um, and pre-printed. So this one says, please complete. And then it has date as late entry, header, initials, page number, patient number, signature, and then it has a blank section. So as a CRA, if you're going through chart after chart and you're like, please complete, you're writing out, please complete, please complete, please complete. This is a time saver for you because you use this one, you check off what you need, you place it on a chart. And then when the study coordinator comes in at the end of the visit, what they see is a color coordination bar 
and it says, please complete. They see that, that sticks up. Compared to two yellow sticky notes, and maybe this chart may have 15 yellow sticky notes, you can't tell what's on that yellow sticky note until you actually open it up. But most of the time, study coordinators have to go on to see patients or put those charts aside and action items age when they could be addressed very quickly. So if that study coordinator saw a serious adverse event or please report to our IRB or protocol deviation, they're not going to put that chart away because they see something that's screaming at them. But a yellow sticky note, if it's not screaming, I got to go into the fire that is screaming. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So as director of operations, like what do you do? Who's the main client here? Uh, Is it it sites? Is it CROs? Who uses Clint Essential tools? Yeah, it's everyone. So it's the sites because they would want to have in their in their space, they could have two of these because we have 16 pre-printed audit notes. So those are the acrylic holders. So in their monitoring space, they set that up for their monitor and they say, hey, use these when you come in because this helps us after to ensure your action items are closed in record time. It lets us see trends for retraining and it just helps us stay on top of things communication wise and addressing keeping your study yeah. on the forefront. So that's for the site. <laughs> so as a site, I mean it I gotta admit it it's cool to be able mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. But like what happens and obviously I don't know every site's gonna be different. Because mm-hmm. I own a site here. It's brand new in Yuma. Mm-hmm. We're trying to do underserved as well. Mm-hmm. So my CRA like I'm just glad I have the study. Okay. I'm not like an established site yet to where I could be like, well, you got to use our sticky notes because mm-hmm. yours, we don't like yours because you know, you're going to put too many. Ours are pre-printed and it's going to mm-hmm. make you think about using it because there's like fewer. So you can't, yeah. you got to think twice before you use one. I would feel yeah. bad to like, I don't know. I don't want to have the awkward conversation with my CRA. But like Mm -hmm. what you broke down made sense, like how to justify it to them. Yeah. What are, has there been pushback from CRA? CRAs like they're what their creature of habit. They are, they are. And so a couple of things, the the way that you had said it, and that's what a lot of our sites, our established sites are big site networks um, that are using our products across multiple sites. They say that they say, hey, it's not for you. I know what you're doing. You know what you're doing as a CRA. But for us, it helps our team with action item follow up, ensuring our actions are closed quickly. And that's a good reflection of the CRA. If the action items Mm. are closed quickly, that's a good reflection. It also helps for us. If we see any trends, we can retrain internally before you get on site and we can, you know, be that's a part of our kappa of doing, you know, going one step forward. And then also you have to think about this, the transitions and all of the CRA and CRC switches that we see in studies. One CRA may come today and then three months from now, it's another CRA. Having at least some color coordination, it helps whoever's coming in. A study coordinator could be changing and the new study coordinator coming in knows what's going on. Ooh, Two serious adverse events. Okay, let me pick up this one, this chart. So, you know, there's a lot of, yes, creatures of habit, but I know as a CRA, when I start getting bad charts and I'm like, ah, please complete on this one, a protocol deviation on this one, it's like, I need something because I'm spending too much time on this tedious task. I need to be able to get to the critical, this doesn't make sense, but I'm spending so much time writing. So, you know, it is. Is not as convenient as having one, but when you start writing out the CRA's writing and when the CRC is looking to see what they need to address, it makes the world of difference. And our our testers in the, the field, they're industry professionals, you know, 20 percent um, increased 20 percent efficiencies within one week of, of using it. Really? You know, de- yeah. Decreased time on site are by two hours for one CRA because they had like 50 charts and they didn't have to spend a lot of time writing. They were able to get out of the site two hours earlier or at least finish up with the monitoring aspect where they can go into other items that they can focus on. 
And then the study coordinators too, they're not spending. I mean, I used to be a study coordinator. So remember, you may have 15 charts. And I used to start at chart one because I had to go in order. But (laughs) you may get to chart 14 and and then see, you're like, oh, I'm out of time. I got to go do something else. But then at chart 14 and 15, you're like, oh, man, I have two serious adverse events, three protocol deviations. Like, I didn't even know because I'm just following yellow stickies and there's nothing that's important. You know, I, I didn't even know I had all this I fire at the, at the bottom. So it's a good prioritization. Wow. Um, here versus yeah, there. I could see the importance now that you I'm glad you came on and you do this also clin essentials does this for e-source as well. Yeah, we're, we're coming. Yeah. So those, even those that have e-source, you know, they're primarily e-source, they're still paper charts, you know, paper ISFs or shadow charts kept and it's still good. Also internal QC is the, like the internal QC department uses it a lot. So there's still, even though we're going into the digital age, there will still be a need for um, the products. And um, and eventually we will be electronic as well with the Clint Essentials line as well. We're, we're yeah. Something like this, I can't believe the industry didn't come up with something better than mm-hmm. the sticky notes. I just assumed as I started monitoring, because as a coordinator, mm-hmm. I ask myself this all the time. Why sticky mm-hmm. notes, like how official is this? Somebody puts a <laughs> sticky note. I used to have sticky notes fall out of binders all the time from Monitor, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't go pick it up because I was busy. Yeah. So I was like thinking, how efficient is that? Like, I don't even know where that fell from, nor am I going to look to see. Um, exactly. But when I became a CRA, I realized, okay, well, it's all documented, at least if it's mm-hmm. a good CRA in the report. Yeah. But what if it's not? So yeah. this, is, this comes in handy for those practical mm-hmm. issues mm-hmm. right there where like getting things resolved quickly. And then just having it there, easy for somebody to access. Yeah, exactly. And it has a done box on the end. I mean, at the top. So when the action is done, study coordinator checks it. And, you know, how many times have have they moved sticky notes around to the top or to the (laughs) side or to the, you know, to, to show that it was done. So, you know, our clients are sites themselves. CRAs themselves, because sometimes they use their um, their stipend that they get for supplies every yeah. month from their company to re-up with supplies that make sense to them. Um, CROs are our um, clients as well, because it helps with CRA turnover. I mean, if you think about it, if you have some a system that gives you good work-life balance, that's an incentive to be with the company because you care. You're giving me the tools that are just going to help with a good work-life balance, you know? Yeah. yeah. We got to talk a little bit about your study rescue. Um, But I have a funny story about stickies. So like my first year as a coordinator monitor left stickies everywhere in my binders. So, and one of them, I really, I know what she was asking. I couldn't get it. She was asking for us to find medical records and we were not going to get it. We called like a hundred times. So we weren't going to get the medical records. Mm-hmm. So I just took that sticky note out because there was like hundreds. I was like, she'll never know. And it surprised me. Like the first thing she asked me next time was that. And I was like, how, you know, how, do, okay. So then I saw the follow-up letter and I was like, ah, so it's documented somewhere else. Not just. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. And, and that's too, we have this. This is called an action item card. It's a carbonless action item pad. And so in that case, your CRA would write the actions and then give you, they take the, they'll give you the white copy and you keep the, wow, the CRA carbon copy. The carbon copy. This is old school. Remember, you remember old school? the CRFs? I remember. Yeah, the old school CRFs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, so that one, um, that's carbon copy. So, yes, they do keep record. Even if you have, you lose a sticky note, there's still <laughs> another record um, with the action items there. Yes, but I learned yeah. the hard way. So, SWAT, yeah. study, study rescue. Yeah, and yeah. this this interview go on forever, but I know you got to go. So study rescue. Mm-hmm. You've you've been getting contracted now to do yeah. study rescue. Interestingly mm-hmm. enough, just last week I was also like asked, "Hey, can you go audit this site ASAP? We have uh, some sponsor audit coming, so we need you to go first. So these sites, like you go in there, and I haven't seen this one, but they're a mess, right? Like, how yeah. does that how does that work? Like a day in the life of a contract 
uh, study rescue person. Yeah. What do you, what is the title? <laughs> so, so mostly it's CTM. Um, it's CTM study rescue because maybe the CTM that was running the study is no longer there. Are they did some things that they set up the study incorrectly to begin with. And now five months, six months later, it, that's evident that it was not set up correctly. So it's a lot of brain power. I, it's a lot of, okay, let me ask some critical questions. Let me see where you want to be and where we're behind. And now we have to figure out plans for it. Risk management plan. Okay. You know, how are we going to correct this? So it's, it's different than if you're just regular doing a CTM and you know what you're doing and you set up your study correctly. It's for studies that weren't set up correctly. And you need to be able to say, okay, what's going on here? Where did it go wrong? How do we correct this? What CAPAs do we need to put in place? Do we have this project plan? Okay, we need to create this project plan, that kind of thing. So it's a it's a different, it's a, a different skill set, but a lot of companies need it right now because wow. studies either fell off last year during COVID, you know, and so <clears throat> Things that they thought they were going to do interim analysis, database ah. locks, et cetera, they're off, you know, and so they're trying to yeah. see how can we salvage this study without having to scrap it all together. I got you. Yeah, I misunderstood. So you're doing study, right? What I'm talking I'm getting contracts for site rescue, like more like oh. SWAT. You know, you go in, yeah. this site's amazing. you're doing it at the study level. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's, I haven't it's done crazy. that. <laughs> yeah, so that at the CTM level, because ah. there's, you know, and that's one of the things that Clint Essentials we've been working on um, in the background. I know that you do CRC and CRA Academy. Yeah. We do CTM Academy. CTM Academy. Well, not a CTM Academy, but we do a, C, a clinical trial manager uh, course. And wow. it tells the, the A through the Z because there's a lot of things that you need to know along the way. And so that's the thing, like things that you may not know, because as a CRA, you may come in at P and go all the way to Z, right. but you don't know A through P, you know, like, cause that's the CTM stuff. And that's really valuable. So I have like this startup niche CRO, we do investigator initiated trials, but um, mm -hmm. one of our drug looks like it might go to phase two and three and like, mm -hmm. they're going to expect that I know how to do, you know, CTM stuff. Yep. So it might need to do that CTM Academy myself. Exactly. Yeah. So you'll know some of those things because, you know, a lot of time people get promoted within and they're like, oh, you want to be a CTM? They're like, yeah. And then you get in there they're like, oh, I don't know how to do some of these things. And so that's, of course, there are for a lot of these companies that are needing CR, uh, CTMs like wildfires. It, mm. It's a, it's a, everybody needs one now, right? Yeah. Everyone needs one. Everyone needs one. So you do have to come in with industry experience. We're not teaching naive. You have right, to be right, this. Right. Yeah. You have to be like a senior CRA or a senior. We're CCA. doing the naive stuff. Do our stuff first, then get a job, then go do Tiffany's because yeah. that's, I'm thinking of doing it. Like if the study, yeah. Yeah. I mean, seriously, yeah. all these contract CRAs out there, I preach to, to the followers, you know, look, if you're a contract CRA or you're a generalist, just like Tiffany. Mm -hmm. You can put yourself out there. So mm -hmm. if our opportunity comes like CTM, mm -hmm. you don't want to say, well, no, I don't have. No, you go to the academy and yeah. you figure it out. Yeah, exactly. Because they're, they're, the industry is getting desperate enough where they are taking, they're lowering the standards just a tad. So before you have to have CTM experience for at least one or two years. Now they're considering senior CRA experience with you know, maybe a certificate program, you know, all of those things there, because there's not enough CTMs to go around right now. There's right. not enough. And so in the meantime, who's, who's struggling at the CRO and sponsor levels by lowering the bar a little, who's picking mm -hmm. up the slack at the, like who, which existing employees there do you think are picking up the slack for, is the existing CTMs? It's the existing CTMs. So the CTMs may be given more studies. Like at one time I had four studies and that's, that's impossible. That's, that's impossible. So, and you know, it's the existing CTMs. That might be it's, the new norm now. Exactly. It may be, but that's not good for work-life balance oh, at all. No. You know, that's burnout central. That's yeah. like, you know, um, it could be 
Sometimes they have like associate CTMs, which are like lead CRAs or principal CRAs who have shown interest. Yeah. So wow. those would be the ones kind of taking up the slack, but they're going to, they're going to look within to see if they can find someone who would be willing to step up to that CTM level. Um, but you know, when you get on those calls, you have to be able to command those calls. When you're speaking with the sponsors, push back. You can't be timid. You know, like you got to be able to take control of that study because the, sh- the sh- study is on your shoulders. You they, then at the end of the day, that's your job. So exactly. as we're wrapping up, um, man, thank you so much, Tiffany, for like you really broke it down. You know, this just goes to show you've been in this industry forever. You're always learning something new, like the intricacies of how sponsors deal with CROs and Mm -hmm. CTM. Like this is eye-opening in a lot of cases. So anything you haven't said that you would like to say to Guru Nation about Clint Essentials or anything else? Yeah, I just say, you know, Clinical research is an exciting career. There's so many possibilities once you get in, be a generalist, like Dan said, and so you can go into different areas. And then, you know, definitely check out Clin Essentials because if you're a clinical research professional, whether you're a CRC or a CRA, our tools will help you. And then if you're a sponsor or a CRO and you're trying to get your studies on track, you know, avoid turnover, keep it uh, within budget. Our products, I mean, just for paying a little bit more than the yellow sticky notes, it makes a world of difference. (laughs) Wow. Okay. We'll leave it with that. We got Tiffany's LinkedIn link underneath the video. And if you're Mm -hmm. listening, thank you very much, podcast listeners. (laughs) Check it out in the show notes too. Everybody go connect with Tiffany. She's been um really putting yourself out there and i think it's good for the industry because we need more it's so secretive we need more more knowledge you know there's only so much like people like me or ecrg can talk about that's still Mm -hmm. within our lane my lane's getting bigger but it's still like niche you know i don't have ctm experience anything like that so it's always good to bring on guest gurus what i used to call them back in the day so thank you very much tiffany i really appreciate it we definitely have to do a part two because yeah. there's a lot to, to dissect still. And mm-hmm. we both have another call to get on soon. But I really appreciate <laughs> it. Thank you very much. All right. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Dan. And thank you, everyone, for watching and listening. And we'll catch you later. Bye-bye. <laughs>